Let us read, if you want to follow along, 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him, and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. And then we pick up the seven. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want, lack to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want or lack any good thing. And Lord, it's blessing to the reading of his word, one of the most beautiful psalms. Uh, in, uh, in all the 150 psalms, uh, God is amazing. That He that just, just He's just a wonderful God. He really is. Uh, from the very beginning of your outline, there are two. Who are the two? Three it should be actually be three or four named angels in the Bible. At least three. And Lucifer. Probably on to be four, yes. There we go, bad. There we go, so there could be five even. The destroyer. And so the good angels are lining up with Michael and Gabriel. And beyond that, you've got Lucifer, Apollyon, Abaddon, the destroyer, possibly different ones. But uh, tonight, focusing on the good angels who are guardian angels. According to Hebrews 1.14, angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be what? Heirs of salvation. So we as his children, we have ministering spirits. Do we have a guardian angel? You may want to weigh in? We don't know. There's, the word guardian, I looked it up, is not even in our scriptures. The word guardian itself, angels, so there's not the guardian angel. But are there angels who take care of us at times? Yes, I really believe there are those who are ministered to us. King of Gath, question three, of course, was Akish. For David, what was David saved out of in 34.6? All his troubles. Question five. In the New Testament, what word is typically used when speaking of fallen angels? Demons or devils. Okay, our, our authorized version uses devils. Uh, demons is more possibly of an... Not in translation. A transliteration, maybe. more. Uh, they mean the same thing. So they stay away from devils because there's one devil... Uh, but it has plural, you know, referring to demons in our scriptures. Uh, do angels die? I don't think so. Uh, I think they live eternally. Uh, the hell was created for the devil and his angels. Uh, I can't, we can't say with complete apodictic certainty, but I believe they are eternal. Uh, holy angels certainly, I believe, will live forever, helping and serving uh, fallen angels. Some are already incapacitated. Some are already in captivity. Some of them are running around free as a bird. Not running around, but flying around, ministering to try for Satan's ministers. There's scads, mil- I would say probably millions of fallen angels who are yet able to... Uh, cause troubles here on earth, etc. And so that would be Satan's minions. We know that one-third, according to Revelation 12, one-third of the angels followed Satan in his exit from heaven. They followed him there and had one chance. Isn't it interesting that, aren't you glad we're not like angels? You have one choice, one time. And if you blow it after that, and after that one-time decision, here's your, here's your watershed issue, you can't come back. And so there's no, God did not die for angels. He didn't die for Klingons, Romulans, Vulcans, anybody like that. He did not die for them. Uh, 
uh, he died for you and I. He died for the humankind. So there was uh, David's, we find his danger, his discernment, and then on number three under that we talked about was also his deliverance in verse six. And now we're up to verse seven, and we find that what David realized, and God protects, in your outline, God protects, who is the angel of the Lord? I believe it's a Christophany, a, a Theophany, we might call it Christophany, which is either one of those. Can you tell me some people in the Bible who the angel of the Lord we know for sure, appeared to. Mary, Abraham, Jacob, Samson's parents. We, we talked about his son already tonight. The son that was under the bush, he appeared to Hagar. The angel of the Lord appeared unto Hagar. Moses in the bush, right? So God, he appeared many different, the angel of the Lord appeared different times in scripture. Uh, he is the Lord of hosts, a beautiful Psalm 24 at the end, verse 10. He is the Lord of the host. He's the covenant angel, the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, we don't see the Christophany in the New Testament because Christ came in person, a 3D picture of God himself. So that was not necessarily any longer in the, uh, although he did appear, did appear, did he not, to Paul on the road to Damascus? Uh, and some, I don't know, if, you know, he talked to Paul. And so, uh, the Theophany, Christophany, the angel of the Lord. Does it, a singular angel, I believe this was Christ or God here, uh, appearing, talk, and then verse 7 there. And remember the word Lord is the tetragrammaton, the Yahweh. And so the angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. And so that is where we, the one verse people go to for the guardian angels. And so we also know that the, the angels of the little ones are in, in a, uh, close to the Lord, we might say. 77% of Americans believe in a guardian angel. 77% do. Now, do you think, question number eight in your outline, do you think that there is a battle in the heavenlies between good angels and fallen angels? I think there is going to be where we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So there's going to be that battle. And if angels can't die, why is there that wrestling between the good side and the bad side if they can't die? It's because they're thwarting Satan's uh what he wants to do. That's why there's, matter of fact, in chapter 12 of Revelation, there's a battle between Satan and Michael the archangel, and Satan is cast out, praise the Lord, cast out from the heavens to the earth, and that's when the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of the tribulation begins, and so there is much to say about that and in Scripture regarding angels and their activities. Angels are, are, are blessed in many ways. They... Uh, we find that angels do battle with demons in order to deliver divine messages to remove Satan's hordes from the heavenly places in Revelation. Demons with our devils can be withstood in James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. They can be tortured by God in Luke chapter 8. Though they lose their, what they possess in Mark 9, be sent to another place in Matthew 8, and be removed to the abyss in Luke chapter 8. So the devils, the demons have things they can and cannot do, and they will eventually be in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, cast into the lake of fire. If you look in the scripture, there is no absolute singular verse or phrase that says, and all the angels were cast into the lake of fire. But when Satan goes in Revelation 20, I believe that's going to be the time when that they're going to be going with him there. Not sure why it's popping, but anyway, there we go. Maybe it's because I got that squinched. 
Hopefully that's what it was. Uh, fallen angels are called, again, devils. Question number nine in the New Testament. Question 10, if angels, demons cannot die, why there is a battle? Because there is the uh, struggle between the good and evil angels. Let's look for just a moment at a couple of instances, and let's look at Daniel chapter 10, please, 13 and 20. Daniel chapter 10, if you would please turn over to Daniel chapter 10. We'll see some activities of those demonic spirits, if you would. I really believe those who see people who are dead come back as ghosts are really demons who likely possessed that person and were able to manifest themselves as that person looked as a ghost. So are ghosts real? I think there really are fallen angels who are able to take that. Angels can take the form of humans. Good angels could. And, and fallen angels, I think, can as well. So if they were to ask me about ghosts, I would say they're not human beings come back. When I, could, I really do not think the Bible's clear. Once you have passed on to what is Hades, no, you're not coming back. Now, God did give the witch of Endor the ability and Samuel the ability to talk to her, but that was a rare case. And so uh, that's why she was frightened to death, nearly. If you read the scripture, when Samuel actually spoke to her, someone real came up and not the familiar that she probably had in dwelling her. That's how they're able to know things. Uh, people who have the seance things, the mediums. What is a medium? It's a conduit between the evil world and mankind. So likely most mediums today are indwelt by Satan. Uh, I, I just, that's just a generalized statement, but that's how they could know things, etc. But the prince, I'm on Daniel 10, 13, a little bit off that my trajectory. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia... The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So it's interesting, Amor says, this verse provides a remarkable insight into the reality and might of the principalities and powers under the rule of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. Although Satan is not omnipresent, he has a highly organized host of evil angels at his command, here, even the angel of the Lord enlisted the help of Archangel Michael to penetrate the demonic host of the evil angel assigned by Satan to oversee the kingdom of Persia, the nation dominant in the world at that time. So evidently, Satan has different angels who are in charge of different areas. This one was in charge. We know that Michael is the prince of Israel. That's Michael is their prince. And so does every major city in the world very possibly could have a singular uh, demon in control, and then a lot of henchmen under him. Uh, obviously, and Satan is very organized. He's doing an excellent job uh, of demolishing as much as possible the Christian ideology. There are four going to be four dominant ideologies about 30 years from now. It is going to be uh, communism or a variation of that. It's going to be Hinduism. It's going to be Islam. It's going to be Christianity. And we're being taught today, by the way, Western civilization, the class history of Western civ is no longer taught in most of the introvert. That was an absolute must when I was going to college. You had to. And so the young people today are not being taught the civilization of America. And so the idea, the post-truth idea is that every culture is equally as good or important or effective. Let me just tell you, nothing is like the Christian uh, entity mindset. The mindset of the Christianity is the one who has built the hospitals, who has stopped slavery, who's done all these different things. It's the Christian mindset that comes from obeying God's word and having a compassion on others. And people think, well, Islam's okay. No, it's not. 
It, it is a, it's a, and they're going to fight when the Sunnis and the Shiites finally start fighting with one another. It's going to be terrible. Radical Hinduism it's, it's, and communism, they have an agenda. And they all think that their ideology is the best. So you just can't simply lay over and say, well, I think, folks, we could just all sit down together and we're all going to be able to be happy. They're not going to be happy together. As soon as they get the foothold, it's going to be off with your head if you don't listen. But we don't, you and I understand that. But the younger generation doesn't see that. But we find then that there is, Satan has been so effective in minimalizing the Christian witness and importance and so many today don't even believe the Bible, don't believe the Bible. As a matter of fact, we are now fundamentalist Christians, which I am, and which you are likely as well. We are the ones who are dangerous. We're dangerous now because we, we hold to Christian worldview. Even most Christians today don't really hold to a true Christian worldview. So that's just, I've been reading a book called The Hope of Nations. It's a very good book. I would encourage you to, to you can buy it, like to read, get it and read it. It's very good. We find that Daniel, Daniel chapter 13, verse 20 says for us, And then he said, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I had gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. And so there is an, obviously a hierarchy of demonic spirits who are causing problems at Satan's behest across the world. Look with me, please, now, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Hebrews 12, 22, please. Hebrews 12, 22. Again, remember the Ephesians verse, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places something like that it's not exactly right i should have read it instead of trying to quote it in hebrews 12 22 but ye are come unto mount zion and to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels innumerable company of angels a third of god's created angels followed satan and his rebellion yet there still remains an innumerable host of heaven and the faithful angels presumably associated with the innumerable starry host of heaven again that's henry morris and so we find also they are in chapter 12 of revelation verse 7 let's read that verse alluded to it earlier revelation 12 12 verse 7 and there was war in heaven michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and they prevailed not neither was their place found anymore in heaven and the great dragon was cast out this is so important that old serpent called the devil and satan which deceiveth the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him so those verses are very important to align the devil, the serpent, etc., uh, as all part of the dragon who Satan is. And so there's a lot of things happen in Scripture according to the angels, uh, what they are have been doing, are doing. I believe they were created, I personally believe, uh, between day one or two of creation week. Uh, if you look at Job chapter 38, verse 7. I do not believe they were created before the earth was created. My personal opinion, they, were not, they weren't eternal. We know they're not eternal like God. And so I believe God created the angels during creation week. Again, that's my personal opinion. We certainly aren't going to fall out on that. I read this story in the past, and I thought I would just research it again. Now, Snoops.com says this is not a true story, but Snoops.com is not based on Scripture. 
A missionary on furlough told the true story while visiting his home church in Michigan. While serving at a small field hospital in Africa, every two weeks, he said, I traveled by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. This was a journey of two days and required camping overnight at the halfway point. On one of these journeys, I arrived at the city where I planned to collect money from a bank, purchase medicine and supplies, and then began my two-day journey back to the field hospital. Upon arrival in the city, I observed two men fighting, one of whom was seriously injured. I treated him for his injuries and at the same time talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. I then traveled two days, camping overnight, and arrived home without incident. Two weeks later, I repeated my journey. Upon arriving in that city, I was approached by the young man I had treated. He told me that he known I had carried money and medicines. He said, quoting, Some friends and I followed you into the jungle knowing you would camp overnight. We planned to kill you, take your money, and the drugs. But just as we were about to move into your camp, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. At this, I laughed, and this is Mr. and I said, that was certainly, I was all alone in the jungle campsite. The young man pressed the point, however, and said, no, sir, I was not the only person to see the guards. My five friends also saw them, and we all counted them. It was because of these guards that we were afraid and left you alone in the jungle. At this point in the sermon, one of the men in the Michigan congregation jumped to his feet and interrupted the missionary and asked if he could tell him the exact day this happened. The missionary told the congregation the date, and the man who interrupted the story said this, On the night of your incident in Africa, I was, it was morning here and I was preparing to play golf. I was about to putt when I felt the urge to pray for you. In fact, the urging of the Lord was so strong, I called men in this church to meet with me here in the sanctuary to pray for you. Would all those men who met with me on that day stand up? And the men who met with the pastor to pray with him stood up. The missionary wasn't concerned about who they were. He was too busy counting, and there were 26 men that stood up. And it's just an amazing story. And uh, there's another lady from called The Spirits of Maduro, the book, in 1988. Uh, Catherine Davis talks about a woman who worked in the jungle on Maduro Island in 1950. She was sleeping alone in her house one night when she heard men outside talking about killing her. She prayed for protection, and the men suddenly grew quiet, then ran away. The next day, a woman from the village said that the men did not carry out their plans because two large people dressed in white who were standing on each side of the path to the house. And Billy Graham relates a story in his book, God's Secret Agents, about the missionary John Patton. We've talked about him before in New Hebrides. It is said that one night they were surrounded by hostile natives who wanted to kill them. They prayed through the night for protection, and at daylight saw that the attackers were leaving. A year later, the chief of the tribe of the attackers became a Christian, and Patton asked him about the night of the attack and why nothing had happened. And the chief was surprised and said, because of all the men who were there protecting them, hundreds of them in shining garments and with drawn swords. So does God protect? Yes, he does. He does, and a miraculous. I look forward to heaven to hearing all the stories from perhaps the angels themselves. How they protected you and I, and I was thinking uh, the couple that was—I don't even know who the people were—even killed out by my where I worked last night, and uh, about six thirty, they were uh, in a car and hit head on with a truck, and they were died. I think pretty much instantly, very close to where I work. I, I hope I pray they were ready to go. I really pray they were ready. We need to be ready. We know that Lord is protecting us. So if we have larger eyes, we could see. If we could see, we will. I believe one day have spiritual eyes. The scales will fall off, and we will see. In heaven, much clearer than we see, and we'll be able to see those perhaps, I believe we will be able to see those who are, have been protecting us if, at different times. I'm not saying we all have a guardian angel. I'm not saying that. I am saying, though, that 
I believe angels do, are sent by God to minister to us for various reasons. So the angel of the Lord mentioned by David, I believe, was a theophany, a pre-incarnate. Why do we say incarnate? Now, we know what that means, the incarnation, right? The first time in the flesh. So God came to, to, to be placed in Mary's womb. That's the incarnation of the Messiah. He was uh, always has been. Jesus always was, but at this point in time, he became one of us by being placed into Mary's womb, so he was took on flesh for the very first time. Now, the Mormon religion will tell you that we have been spirits up in heaven, and then God sends us down and to be placed into a body. Interestingly enough, just this past Monday, two days ago in the New York Times, there was a big article about when does life begin? The lady asked that, and that's an amazing thing for the New York Times, perhaps the most liberal newspaper, but the most read newspaper probably in the world. When does life begin? And she could not answer that. We can. Go to Psalm 139, and you, are, uh, you will see clearly, uh, it's 139 or 39, 139 I think it is, uh, clearly David says he was formed even before his, you could tell what he was. You know, we, we have so much technology now. We can see babies, and, and, and Benjamin told me all about his little brother that's coming. And, and so we can see those things. That, but back in David's time, they couldn't. But David says, with certainty, the life begins at conception. And that is the, if you go anywhere else from there, it, it, there's no really answer. I'm telling you, from the very moment God gives life, it's a viable human being. And we have to, we have to stand on that. We do. As Bible-believing Christians, and the idea, well, what the first trimester, that's all. It's interesting, when Blackman wrote the opinion, majority opinion in 1973, he contacted, I believe it was the Mayo Clinic, and they said, well, the best way to divide a baby is think of the first three months, the second three months, and the third three months, and that's the first trimester, second trimester. That's not how it actually works in reality, though. From the very moment a baby is given life, a child, you have every single thing he needs, she needs to Become a viable human being. And I know you know that, but we just need to be reminded we have a world that doesn't believe it, doesn't want to believe it, and has cast that aside. We need to stand for what the Bible says regarding life. We really, really do. Find then that, that David also, he mentioned this, and only other guys, he's mentioned twice in the book here, the angel of the Lord. We find in Psalm 35, it says, let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. So I think it's, it's protecting of the saints. We know that. That's what he's doing here. Interesting, I just read last week that Jews even believed every, each person had a demon assigned to them as well. I hope they're wrong by that. I really am. God protects us, and uh, it's, I can't wait to hear all the stories of God's protection uh, that people did not even aware of. We're back to our text in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. What does it mean, oh, taste and see? And we'll go right to question 12 and 13, and I think you'll get my, the answer that I am fishing for and, and with those two questions. 12, the question 12 is... <laughs> that's not the right one that's not the right one there i found it finally found it and it is what are some foods or food combinations that you have tried and found them quite yummy you didn't think so but when you put them together for example i met juanita ferguson told me about 20 years ago pastor tim you should try peanut butter on pancakes i don't want to try that i did <gasps> Oh my goodness, it's like the cat's meow. 
And then cottage cheese and applesauce, we do that. Hot dogs on pizza. You're trying to hot dog, take them, you cut them like this in the little round pieces and put them on your pizza. Mmm, they're really quite tasty. Now, my wife doesn't like them yet, but I think they're quite yummy. Oh, oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Question 13 is, then what have you, uh, what did you have to do in order to discover the above culinary delight? You had to try it. You had to at least try it. I, now, I read some really things you don't want to try. Slippery dumplings, cactus fries, whole sheep's head, octopus straight up, jelly moose nose, and soft boiled fetal duck. Now, those are things I just really, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to tempt those things. I did see there were chocolate-covered bacon. I, now, I, I, wanna, I like to try chocolate-covered bacon. I don't know if you ever make that or not, but I like to try chocolate-covered bacon. But the whole reasoning behind all these questions is, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I like the quote. I think I put it in your The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. I know this is three weeks in a row. It has been difficult, found difficult, and left untried. It's found difficult and left untried. The easiest thing to do is, is to not follow the cause of... The easiest thing to do is, oh, that's just too hard for me. Let us try an easier way. Spurgeon says, make a trial, an inward experiential trial of the goodness of God. You cannot see except by tasting for yourself. If you taste, you shall see. For this, like Jonathan's honey, enlightens the eyes. I tell you, I never knew how wonderful it was to study God's word until I studied God's word. You can see, I can tell you till the cows come home, you need to read this book. And I don't so much about reading good books. I'm telling you, you need to read this book. This is the life changing book. And you'll never really enjoy it until you do it. And people, why are you reading God's word? Why is that? That's the, my favorite thing to do in, in life, pretty much, is to, is to study and to learn more about God. And, 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 to, and that's, I, like, I like doing that. I do it a lot, I do it every day, in some regard. And so that's the old taste and see the Lord is good. David had tasted and saw the Lord is good. The Lord had really protected him. It's not enough for thee to see it afar off and not have it as dives. Now, dives is the name for the rich man in Lazarus. His name is dives in tradition. Or to have it in thee and not to taste it as Samson's lion had the great store of honey inside, but tasted no sweetness of it. No, but thou must as well have it as see it as well as taste it as to have it. David's remembering perhaps the calloused way that they pushed him out of the city and said, okay, you've got 20 seconds to get out of bow range. Start on one, two, three, 20. <laughs> and uh, the Lord watched over him, escaped, and maybe he dodged. It, it, we think that's, I know you think, it, well, that very well could have happened. We have been sheltered from when the Assyrians came in and destroyed people. It was, it was ISIS-type things. It was awful. And we're, the Bible shelters us from a lot of that degradation, etc. However, God cared for David, provided for him, saw him safely to Adullam. David does not tell how, how the Lord took care of all his needs, but there in the cave, surrounded by faithful men, and Philip says, with chunks of venison hanging from the roof and tribute from a dozen farms stacked in the corners... He's going to urge them to trust. Verse 9, look at the promise. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want. What is the promise? Question 14, no want. There is no lack. They will not, we will not go wrong putting God first. Backing up to the old taste and see. Do you remember the 1970s commercial? There's three little boys, and there's a box of life cereal. 
And they said, I'm not trying that. I'm not trying that. I'm not. Hey, let's get Mikey. He won't eat. He won't like it. And, go, and Mikey goes, he hates everything. And he eats it. Mikey. Hey, Mikey. He likes it. And you can actually find that commercial. I just watched it this week on YouTube. Oh, taste and see. If you don't taste, we can't see God's goodness. And then those who fear, there's no lack for that. And what's the plight of the lions? The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Question 15 says, Is putting God first in all things a successful mindset to have? Amen. It is. It is. It is. He hears the... Angry growl of the hunting lion, perhaps, out in the hills and comments, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And it's not just right now. It is for eternity, is it not? We will have his presence and his care forever and ever and ever and ever. He's a wonderful Lord. And by the way, if you don't want the Lord of the Scripture, what is plan B? People want to tear down plan A, God's plan, but then they have no real answer. And there is no answer because He is. He is the answer. And may we have opportunities between now and Sunday to tell that to someone else as God gives us liberty. Let's pray. Lord, we're just thankful for the promises of Your Word. Help us to taste and see that You truly are. We know in our minds, I, we know in our thinking that You're truly good, but sometimes we just need to sit down and taste and Boy, when we taste how wonderful we are, the more we grow, the more we want more. And it's, it enlightens the eyes, as Spurgeon said. So, Lord, may we be enlightened by your word. Give us safety as we go home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.